This is Shuffle, your backstage pass to Northeast Ohio's music scene. I'm Brittany Nader. Music journalist Rob Harvilla revisits the music that scored his teenage and college years in Northeast Ohio with a popular podcast called 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. The music of the decade marked the end of hair metal bands and the rise of grunge, with bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam taking over airwaves on the radio and MTV. Later, boy bands and pop stars like NSYNC and Britney Spears rose to megastardom. I talked with Harvilla for this week's Shuffle. Harvilla grew up in Medina and has made his mark in music journalism as an editor for The Village Voice, Spin Magazine, Deadspin, and now as a senior staff writer for the popular sports and culture website and podcast network, The Ringer. He started his music podcast in 2020, covering songs by Alanis Morissette, Gin Blossoms, Wu-Tang Clan, and Missy Elliott. The songs span genres from alternative to R&B, metal, and country. The first episode I heard was about Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman. (laughs) Shania Twain deserves to be as famous for her use of punctuation as E.E. Cummings is for not using punctuation. That's from a song called Honey, I'm Home. That's honey, comma, I'm home. The comma is crucial. Let's go, girls. Come on. My name is Rob Harvilla. This is 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. And yes, thank goodness, at long last, that is man, I feel like a woman. That's man, exclamation point, I feel like a woman, exclamation point. But you already knew that, didn't you? When did you become infatuated with punctuation? (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange thing. I've never done anything like this before. I've never done a podcast or really been on the radio with any consistency. You know, I've been a writer for 20 years and it's, it's odd writing words that I then speak out loud, right? As basic as that sounds, it's a very foreign concept to me. And so I find myself explaining, you know, parentheses and titles, exclamation points, period. Shania loves her exclamation points and her parentheses, of course. I feel this this urge to clarify, to explain exactly, so you can picture it exactly, because you're not reading it. It's very important to me that I get that as right as I possibly can. I love that. You definitely paint the visual very well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good, good. Thank you. So, of course, with this podcast, you know, it's all about the 90s. What does the 90s mean to you and why did you decide to focus on this decade? I think the real answer to that question is that I grew up in the 90s, right? I went to both high school and college and I'm sort of realizing that there's, there's no substitute for the music that you loved, you obsessed over at that time in your life, in high school and college, when you were young. You know, I've been obsessed with music. I I write about music for a living for 20 years. Music will always be important to me, but there's nothing that can replace that feeling of being a teenager, right? You know, being in high school, being in college, being a little past college. That music just imprints itself on you differently. And so the original idea was, you know, what I used to say and what I still say is that, you know, the 90s is safely the past, but not far, far enough away in the past that like young people now have no connection to it. The styles of the 90s, the various, you know, subgenres and stuff keep coming back. Certainly plenty of artists who started in the 90s are, are still very prominent. You know, it felt like a good sweet spot between nostalgia, 
but it's not like so far into the distant past that there aren't aspects of it that aren't current. But for me personally, I think, you know, as the personal connection has grown on in these episodes and this show, as I'm bringing more and more of myself in, you know, it's just this is the music that I loved when I was young. And it's not any more complicated than that. So how do you choose the songs for each episode? <laughs> well, we have several arduous Google Docs, you know, spread, <laughs> spreadsheets, a lot of spreadsheets. You mm-hmm. know, we have a long list, you know, that we arduously whittle down into a shorter list. I try and keep things loose, right? Like you, you, look, you look at a list like that, it's got 100, 150 songs, and immediately you can pick like 20, 25 that are kind of essential for a project like this, it would be really strange to not talk about this, this, and this, right? And and so once you've got those set, then there's like, you know, it's just a tier system. Like, this is pretty important, but maybe you can get away with skipping it. This is less important. And I always want to keep it in a few, you know, for myself that we're not as prominent to everybody else, but we're very important to me. Each episode, you invite a guest on to talk about the song, like the episode you did for Radiohead's Creep. You had Cleveland writer Annie Zaleski on. Annie, you wrote about the 25th anniversary of Pablo Honey, I believe, for Salon a couple years back. And I am ashamed to say that I had forgotten about Radiohead performing Creep at the MTV Beach House. In 1993, it's one of the funniest things ever shown on television. So first of all, thank you for reminding me. It is one of the greatest moments of the 90s, I have to say. I think beach goth was invented right there. (laughs) Beach goth is the perfect way to describe it. It looks like they're vampires dying in the sun. They're wearing entirely long sleeves, long pants. There's just no acknowledgement by them that they're even outside. You know, it's they look so uncomfortable. It's funny. Why did you decide to do an interview portion of the show rather than just you kind of presenting this monologue? I think it was important to bring in somebody else's perspective. If we limit the show to just my experience, my experience is limited. You know, anybody's experience is limited. But in a lot of cases, you know, there are aspects of a song, perspectives on a song that I just can't bring, you know, is like a white guy you know, father living in the suburbs, right? Like, I want to hear from somebody else. I want to hear somebody else's experience with the song in real time back in the 90s and somebody else's experience with this music now. It was important to me to have some other voice. There's so much of me at this point, but I I don't want there to be too much of me and I don't want to be the only one bringing something to this. I want somebody else to have a say. I've been doing this a long time, you know, and I've sort of, I'm at least aware of a lot of people and a lot of people are aware of me. And so there's sort of this, this arsenal of fellow writers and critics that I can bring on, you know, as the show has gotten a little more prominent, we've been able to bring on a few artists, musicians, Uh, the dude from Eve Six was on at some point. I, and that's, that's really exciting. The, the drummer from Pup, one of my favorite bands, a punk band from, from Canada called Pup. I, you know, I think he had, you just tweeted something about the show and I reached out, you know, I, I want to take advantage, you know, as I see modestly people getting into the show and bring them on as well. But I think the foundation was all always, you know, the talent that we have here at the ringer, you know, the talent critically in the, the wider world that, you know, I have some access to. 
The 90s, I guess like any decade, but for some reason just seems like the 90s stick out as like having a lot of dark stories, a lot of like Uh dark figures, but you managed to keep the tone of your podcast light, but also like very respectful to the story. So is that challenging for you? I'm really glad to hear you say that. I yeah, it 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 is challenging sometimes, absolutely. I think in general I'm a pretty goofy person, quite frankly. You know, I think that the tone that I bring just naturally subconsciously is is lighter, lighter hearted. But as you say, there's there's some darkness. You know, the Aaliyah episode. Talking about Aaliyah means reckoning with R. Kelly. We did an episode on on whole with Courtney Love, you sort of struggle with like, you want her to stand on her own, but her proximity to Kurt Cobain is a huge part of how she was perceived and talked about and processed in the 90s. There are these darker moments and these darker stories, as you say. And as far as the tone, like, I just try to arrive at naturally, you know, a different way of speaking. And as you say, and again, I'm really happy to hear you say, like, I'm trying to be careful and I'm trying to be respectful and I'm trying not to avoid these topics, but I'm trying not to wallow in them, you know, and I, I don't want the tone of the show of this particular episode to feel totally different and foreign to the rest, you know, of the goofiness around it. I'm just I'm trying to blend it in, but still respect, you know, the darkness of it. And I'm, I'm just sort of finding my way. Britney Spears was another example, right, where I just there is so much always happening with her that I was hell-bent on avoiding it for the longest time just because I don't know tonally how to handle this. I don't, but I, at some point you got to do it, right? And I, I'm, I'm relieved that that's over with. But yeah, it's just a matter of being careful but not being like so solemn that you oversell, you know, that darkness. Let's hear a clip. Partly my dread is just a function of not wanting to be out of date. I cannot write, let alone write and then record a Britney Spears thing fast enough to keep up with the torrent of Britney Spears news. By the time you actually hear this, Britney Spears will probably have single-handedly terraformed and colonized Mars. That's fantastic, Britney. Okay, so why am I doing this if I'm so afraid to do it? Because this song is perfect. That's why. Objectively perfect. Objectively cataclysmic. On the show, you talk about going to concerts in Cleveland and Akron when you were younger. Um, This clip from the episode you did on The Offspring's Pretty Fly for a White Guy talks about a time you saw the Stone Temple Pilots. When I attended a Stone Temple Pilots concert in downtown Cleveland, Ohio, in the summer of 1994, and my girlfriend at the time was not allowed by her parents to go with me, we told her parents we were all going to see the three-hour movie Wyatt Earp, and then we went to the Stone Temple Pilots concert anyway. Do you ever come back this way for concerts or anything? Man, what was the last show that I saw in Cleveland itself? It's been a long time. It's been so long that I want to say it's you 2 the Joshua Tree Tour at the Browns Stadium, whatever that's called. And I want to say that was 2016. You know, COVID is a factor there. I've been to very few shows. But I, yeah, man, I went, I, I went to high school in Medina. My parents still live in Medina. Oh, dude, you know what? Nautica, the Odeon, <laughs> the Agora. 
Blossom, of course, you know, a handful of Jacobs Field, Gundarina, even Richfield Coliseum, you know, but there have been a handful of times I'm here in Columbus now. And if a show I really, really, really want to see is missing here, you know, I'll go up to Cleveland, you know, spend the night with my parents, you know, and relive my glory days, I guess. <laughs> My first internship was at Cleveland Scene, you know, and I, I had been reading it for years and I was so psyched, you know, to see my name in print mm-hmm. that had to have been the first time, you know, even even as these these publications, these alt weeklies especially sort of fade away, you know, the path I took to my career is very different from the path someone takes to their career now. But I I will always cherish those memories, you know, of being sent to see Ween at the Agora by the Cleveland scene, you know, and sitting in their office, you know, with these giant mail crates opening all their CDs and stuff. It's just, this stuff is still really important to me. And so it's a thrill to talk to somebody from Cleveland. Well, what keeps you in Ohio? Uh, my family, you know, my wife is here from Columbus. Her parents are still here in town. My parents, as I said, are still in Medina. My younger brother is here, you know, 15 minutes from me. In Columbus, my wife and I, we lived in Oakland, California a couple times. We lived in New York City for a little while, but we figured when we had kids, for financial reasons, certainly being able to afford, you know, a house, etc., but also because our family is around, we figured we'd end up back here, and we did, and we've been here for eight years, and we're, we're, we're thrilled, you know. We were glad to get away for a little while, quite mm-hmm. frankly, but we are equally glad to be back. What's been a highlight, or who's the most interesting person that you've written about? Man, um, my brother still talks about the time my parents' house and the phone rings and he answers it and it's Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> calling for me. I was going to interview. I think I was just interviewing him for Cleveland Scene, actually, the mm-hmm. Alt Weekly, you know, just an interview. And he, he called my house and my brother, she was just blown away that he got to speak to Weird Al Yankovic even for, you know, 15 seconds. <laughs> uh, Weird Al was certainly a career highlight. You know, Eric Church, the country star, that's another show I think I saw more recently, actually, than uh, U2, was Eric Church played downtown, right, at the Q. Um, but I went and I hung out with Eric Church, hung out, quote-unquote, in, in Nashville, you know, just for a matter of hours. And I, I get very self-conscious about that environment and just feel very awkward, but I, 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 I sort of soldiered through it, and I had some cool experiences. And those are all the experiences I need, I think, at this point. Sure. You have the podcast, which has really taken off and <laughs> is incredible. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I this is the most feedback I've ever had on anything <laughs> that I've done, and it's I'm trying to figure out why that is, and I it's just that you're hearing my voice. I guess you know it's not just reading. My friend Yasi Salik, who has a podcast called Bandsplain, she just said, you know, these are parasocial. Right. Like if you listen to a lot of episodes of a podcast and you feel not a friendship, you know, but some kind of relationship with this person and their voice. And it's it's just a slightly more involved relationship, you know, between speaker and listener than me just writing, you know, a review of the new Drake record or whatever. Definitely. So, you know, I love that you span genres and some of the songs like have this big pop culture moment or something tied to it so yeah. it makes sense to talk about but others don't necessarily and one episode that always stands out because i've listened to it multiple times is the third eye blind episode <laughs> it is so funny to me why do so many people hate stephen jenkins Frontman, third eye blind stephen with an a not an e at the end maybe that's it but really to what do we owe the world's displeasure 
What makes this guy special? What makes this guy the great unifier? Well, I suppose you'd have to start with what makes him great. My name is Rob Harvilla. This is 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Today, it's Semi-Charmed Life from the 1997 self-titled debut album from San Francisco pop rock band Third Eye Blind. I should clarify immediately that this song is awesome. At that point, like it's not even about the music anymore. I just think it's so funny. I don't remember how I finally arrived on that, but that was on the bubble for a while. You know, that wasn't one of the ones where I was like, I absolutely have to do this. <laughs> like that was just floating somewhere in the second or third tier. But eventually I just, just I want to sort of keep the list open enough that one day I can wake up and be like, why haven't I done this? I really want to do this. And that's what happened with Third Eye Blind. And yeah, just the story of that guy and just the the rage that he seems to inspire in everyone who's ever crossed his path, <laughs> you know, and in retrospect, it seems so obvious that I necessary that I do that. But it didn't feel necessary until right up to the point that I did it. And so I'm very glad that the show has enough built in flexibility to like allow me to come to like the obvious conclusion that like I got to talk about this guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, your podcast is called 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Uh, you have since expanded it past 60. <laughs> I think that we, you know, getting to the 40, 45 song mark, you know, as I say, we got these giant spreadsheets and suddenly it got super stressful. It was like, oh my gosh, we got to do these songs, you know, or it's just not going to work. And if we do all these songs, we don't have room to do anything else. Like, I think it was just as simple as we had too many songs left. I was feeling like I was in a groove. You know, and I could keep going. I, I felt like we had hit a nostalgia sweet spot. Of course, we've talked about doing the 80s or the 70s or even, you know, the 2000s, the aughts. But if doing the 80s is so far back in time now, honestly, you know, that if I'm speaking, I think the people this podcast speaks the most to are people like me who grew up in the 90s, who were in high school, who were in college, who have that relationship. You know, if we're going to do that with the 80s, first of all, that's a little young for me. And second of all, like, I'm trying to envision the audience for a show like this. I don't think you want to age up the audience that much, mm. necessarily. The 90s always felt like a sweet spot again, like in the past, but not too far in the past. But yeah, there were just too many songs. You know, and, and there's an argument to be made that we should have just called it 90 songs and done 90 songs from the beginning. But I was so self-conscious about whether this was going to work <laughs> that 60 seemed a little safer. It doesn't make any sense, but that's how I thought. <laughs> Rob Harvilla, thank you so much. Thank you. Episodes of 60 Songs That Explain the 90s are released weekly on Spotify and can also be found on The Ringer's website at theringer.com. You can find links and more at ideastream.org slash shuffle. I'm Brittany Nader, IdeaStream Public Media.